Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Neil Buyan. He is the CEO and founder of HappySelling.io. Neil, welcome. Thank you, Marcus, and good morning, and thank you for having me on your show today. It's my pleasure. I'm delighted to have someone else who wraps up their conversations with Happy Selling. Before we get started, would you mind giving us 60 seconds on your background, please? Yeah, no worries. So as mentioned, I'm the founder of happyselling.io. I provide a sales training business for sales development reps who work in SaaS. I've been in software sales for the last 11 years. Uh, Originally started out as a tele-sales rep 11 years back in a corporate company. Came across my first startup, which was Zora, where I was introduced to SaaS software as a service and the role of an SDR. And since then, I've been an account executive, I've worked in customer success, uh, and then decided to launch my own business back in 2017. I've had the opportunity and privilege to work at companies such as Showpad, Winning by Design, Intuo, and I'm big, a big fan of sales development reps. Excellent. Okay, for those who aren't familiar with what an SDR is, uh, do you mind filling them in? Yeah, no worries. So a sales development rep is somebody who is at the beginning of a sales cycle. So they will initially follow up with inbound leads or they'll be doing cold outreach uh, to prospects. And their role is to create education and awareness about solutions, uh, answer questions, qualify leads to see if they're in the ideal customer profile, and then hand these over to closing sales. Okay, so what are the qualities that make for a good SDR? It's a really good question because it's a topic which is continuous on LinkedIn. And these points I'm about to give are from my own personal perspective. as to what I've seen and helped with SDRs. But I think the first one is curiosity. So I remember being an SDR and joining the world of tech. I was always wondering, like, why does this happen? What does this mean? How does this work? And I think with SDRs, when they start a role, they're initially thinking, right, I need to be booking meetings and I, I need to be speaking to prospects. And that's at the forefront of their mind, because again, that's one of the main reasons they're hired. But I think from an SDR perspective, trying to understand the the industry, the landscape, the personas they speak to, why have their founders have this vision and passion to create a solution to help their customers, kind of like how do the different departments work together? Uh, And also like, why do customers choose those solutions and what is it about it that made them purchase it? I think these type of questions are the questions that SDRs should be asking themselves when they're starting out in a business rather than how do I book a meeting? Let me just pick up on something that you've said because experience tells me that when an SDR joins a company, they get inculcated in product knowledge, but they're not developed in terms of their business understanding or their business acumen. And you've touched on that very early on in the conversation, which makes my heart sore like an eagle, because it's one of my big bugbears, that the least experienced people are being given the most important job to speak to senior people within their prospect organization without any understanding and being thrown in basically at the deep end with a lump of concrete around their neck Uh to try and engage be relevant, be contextually appropriate, deliver value in that conversation without the resources and tools. So that strikes me as a major blind spot in management and leadership. What advice would you give to founders, sales leaders, and managers 
when they are recruiting and onboarding a new SDR? Yeah, re- really good question. The way that I've worked with clients or when I've been like a manager, an SDR manager myself, I think in the first like few weeks of onboarding, to your point, a lot of the times I've gone into companies and they said, right, so with the SDRs, we, we give them a demo, we give them product and sales training, we ask them to listen to a few calls and we give them this huge call list and expect them to go out and, you know, build pipeline. And that's quite scary for an SDR that's never been experienced or to your point, having the business acumen uh, to be able to handle those sort of conversations. So the advice that I give to like VPs of sales or like CMOs that I'm working with is the first week should be all about getting to know the company versus just the product. So when I was a manager, what I would task uh, my SDRs to do is like bingo meetings. So we'd give them like a, a sheet with all these faces and different departments. And their role would be to, you know, book meetings with the internal stakeholders to A, understand where they come from, what's their role in the business and what's the vision of that department and how does it align with the other departments. And then obviously a really good thing to do is to, you know, sit down with the account executives, the sales teams to see how do they work listen to a couple of calls, watch a couple of demos. But at the end of the first week, what I would ask the SDR to do for me is to send me like a summary email of what have they learned, what questions do they have, and is there anything they're unclear of? And this would also help me set out the rest of their onboarding in the coming weeks to you know, identify the gaps. And then within the second week, we would then start talking about the product more so, and then we would give them you know, uh, learning to see how to do things in the product and then ask them to you know, come up with questions as to what they see with the product, with the solution, and then try to understand how the personas like each use these sort of things. Then after that, it's a case of that's when the kind of sales training comes into it. So like, how do we create emails? How do we do calls? How do we speak to our different personas? And then constantly like having check-ins with the team members to see, okay, are they able to understand it? Are they able to explain it back to me? And then by the end of the month, what I would ask the SDR to do is that, okay, we have a one-to-one. So what have you learned? What is your understanding of the key topics and what we're trying to do as a business? How does our solution align to that? What are the type of the personas that we're going after? Why, why are they interested in our solution? And pitch back to me, like, what do we do? And how do we help those people? Versus, you know, just going straight in with the product training and watching demos and then just getting on the phone. This is where it will help start building that foundation of that business acumen and just to constantly keep asking questions and things that they, they may not be aware of. Fantastic. Okay, so to carry on with the qualities of a great SDR. Yeah. So the second piece uh, is coachability. So again, I can always like show you how to write an email. I can show you how to do a cold call. But I think with the best SDRs, it's the ones that are willing to give it a go, try something that perhaps could scare the hell out of them, uh, and then be open to feedback. Um, because I have butted heads with SDRs in the past where they think, right, now you've given me the training, but this is how I'm going to do it. And if I then give them feedback as to, do you know what, you could improve here, you could maybe try this out. They're like, no, 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 this is how I'm going to do it, and this is what I want to do. And it's kind of that saying of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But it's the ones that are open to feedback. They're open to constructive criticism and they want to better themselves versus just wanting to do it their way. And again, I always say to SEOs, if you feel that is the right way to do it, you don't have to take my advice, go for it and try it out. But always be open to like have a discussion and catch up to see how it's gone. And don't be afraid to ask for help because I think asking for help is a sign of strength versus weakness Absolutely. and to be showing that you're vulnerable to me uh, shows that you want to be helped and I'm more than happy to give 150% to that person that wants that help. 
what one of the best shining examples that I've ever met is Gabrielle Blackwell. Yes. Um, Gabby is just breathtaking in her capability, but her hunger to learn, her intellectual humility, her vulnerability, her curiosity is just second to none. And she's stellar in performance and passing that on to her team as well. Lucky to have her as their manager. Definitely. I had uh, the opportunity to meet with Gabrielle this week and it was the first time we spoke. And again, thank you to you uh, for the introduction on that. But I was literally blown away. Like I was taking my notes in our meeting and I just had to put my pen down because I was her hunger, her tenacity, strive to wanting to be like top number one, but also her vulnerabilities of things and traumas that she'd gone through in life um, showed that she was a real person. So 100% agree with you on Gabrielle. She's a top lady. Well, you've touched on something else. I interviewed the legend that is Mike Bosworth recently. And he said that there was something that caused the 80%, the bottom 80% of salespeople and SDRs to quit within two weeks of applying the training. And it was something he called discovery resistance. And what he identified, it took him a while, uh, but what he identified was that the top 20% are able to build trust with strangers. And they do it intuitively, so they don't really know how to train other people. And he's come up with a fantastic, elegant solution, which I'm going to share with you, which is, Neil, can I tell you a story about another manager in transport? And he delivers a customer hero story around a minute and yeah. it fueled, it's fueled by pure curiosity. And at the end, he says, well, enough about me. Let's talk about you. And that next stage is fueled by pure envy because you find someone just like them who has the same sort of problems in the same industry, in the same role. And then there's the hero's journey story moving from problem and protagonist through difficult times. And then the outcome is... improvement in production, taking uh, inventory down from 13 million to two, whatever it happens to be. And that fuels, that opens them up to discovery. And it allowed him to get the bottom 80% engaged in the execution of the training. Now, this is also really important to understand. Training does not work by and large. And the problem that I see is that most training is a tick-in-the-box exercise, and the emphasis is on retention. But 70% of the actual learning, implementation, and contextual application happens in the field. And that depends on managers coaching what they see and then being able to find that moment that they can coach and uh, helping them to develop those stories and building that portfolio of stories up, which I thought was really incredibly insightful. 100% agree. I'm a big, big fan of the hero's journey and telling compelling customer stories and third-party stories. It's kind of like when I say to, it's something that I do in my training as well, where if you look at about the hero's journey, if you look, think about somebody like Harry Potter, right? We all know Harry Potter. He's that guy that lives under the stairs in Privet Drive. He goes on to meet some friends at Hogwarts, meets a great wizard called Dumbledore, comes across his big enemy, obviously who he's trying to fight, Voldemort. And at the end, he becomes this hero and this great wizard. 
And then if you look at somebody else like Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, so Luke, again, young guy, uh, built out in, into a planet. Um, he then goes on this journey to kind of like become a Jedi. He comes across all this adversity. He comes across his, this big enemy who finds out he's his dad, Darth Vader. Again, they have a massive battle. And at the end, he wins and becomes like a master Jedi. And all of these stories talk about the hero's journey of coming from starting from scratch, going through all of these experiences and through life and then becoming like this great champion at the end. But it's not Harry's wand that makes him the champion. It's not Luke's uh, lightsaber that makes him the champion. It's the person. It's that hero. So when training in sales, um, I'm saying when we're talking about, you know, in discovery calls and we're trying to build this urgency for that prospect to take the next step of a demo, the way that I say to SDRs is to tell them a compelling third-party customer story. So it's kind of like a sandwich. So at the beginning, you talk about the person's name so that they can resonate and build a picture in their head mentally rather than saying the VP of sales at such and such company. I said, John, who was a VP of sales just like you, working within this industry or working in this company. And then you talk about the pain, the drama, because again, one of the main reasons people love watching like Love Island or Big Brother is they love to see drama and pain and stuff going on. So then talking about like, well, John was, you know, trying to find a way to work with his team. He was really struggling to get the, the team to work together. The numbers were down and he was also fearful that he may lose his job. And then it's the next piece where you bring up their kind of adrenaline uh, of like a roller coaster of bringing them on a high about the, the hero's journey, where John, he found a new way of working, which improved team morale. Numbers were going up. The board was saying that he's doing a great job. And then John finally got that promotion. And when I'm teaching SDRs to say, teach this story with a framework is throughout the whole story, you don't talk about the solution. You don't talk about the product. And a lot of SDRs find this really difficult because they are passionate about their product and they want to book in that demo. But when you tell these compelling third-party stories, it's something I have to practice as well. So over the years, when I've been training SDRs and I've got my own curriculum and framework, and in the early days, it was like, to your point, like a tick in the box where we do this, this is how we set a meeting, this is how we gain the next steps. But what I found in recent years is I'm telling stories of how I did this as an SDR, how I did this as an AE, and also telling them when I first sent out emails, I was getting no replies and I was struggling and I was thinking I was going to lose my job. But then I found this framework, which I was able to put in place. I was getting more replies. I started tweaking it. I started optimizing it. I got better results. And this is how I booked meetings. And that's how I would get the SDRs to buy into the methodology and the training, but also then saying to them, like, go create your own stories. You know, it's these are the things that make you an all-rounded sales individual. And to your point, it's not just reading a textbook, watching a video, and then just going and just thinking if it's going to work. It's, it's out in the field. That's where you're going to get the best training. Excellent. That's fantastic. Okay. Are there any other qualities that we should be looking for in an ideal hire for an SDR role? Definitely. Empathy. Empathy is the biggest thing that I say to SDRs. And it was funny because I was doing a class yesterday where we, we have this framework of when we're asking these questions, one of the things that we should do is to empathize and elaborate. And one of the SDRs, um, Sean was saying to me, said, Neil, I find it really hard to empathize with prospects. Because like I said, if somebody says, oh, well, you know, we've lost 5 million in revenue, we've done this, nine times out of 10, a rep hears that as a keyword and says, great, well, we've got this solution, it's going to help you out and, you know, it's going to change the whole world. But that's not what a prospect wants to hear. If somebody says to me, oh, I've just lost five million, I'm like, oh, sorry to hear that. That must have been really hard, like kind of what, what are you guys doing about it to mitigate it happening in the future? And when Sean was saying, like, some days I wake up, Neil, I'm in a happy mood or I'm in a bad mood, and I find it really hard to, like, empathize when a prospect's telling me stuff because at the end of the day, I just want to book a meeting. 
And I said, agreed, I understand that. And there's a goal that we want as SDRs, but that's not the reason why your prospect joined the call. Sometimes prospects will take these calls because they can't talk about these things internally with the fear of upsetting other staff members. Uh, but having somebody on the other end of the phone who understands their pains, understands their challenges, and can kind of give insights and share best practices of how other people got out of that. So, you know, going into a conversation just to truly understand, like, what's going on in that person's world, not always feeling sorry for people, but just saying, like, you know what, I understand. I'm speaking to other people that are going through this. Um, I'd be happy to help out and share, like, other stories of how people have overcome these challenges. Empathy, leading with empathy and taking it from the way that I say to, to Sean is just put your sh yourself in that person's shoes. Imagine you're in that office. You've got that team. You're struggling to do that. How horrible would that feel? You know, that's like showing a level of empathy. <laughs> and as the session went on, one of the other SDRs was talking about a problem that they were facing with a new outbound campaign that wasn't gaining results, et cetera. And Sean said in the meeting, he said, yeah, do you know what, Julia, I totally agree with you. I'm finding it really hard and I'm not getting any results, but I'm going to try this new way. And I said to Sean, I said, Sean, that's empathy. You just did it. And he's like, ah, okay. So yeah, empathy, I think, is a, is a, is a good point for them. The other skill that goes hand in hand with empathy is really deep listening, being fully present, being switched on. It's Listening is a whole body experience. And listening actually is conveying understanding to the other person. Because if you don't understand them, chances are they're not going to take it through to the next stage. And they have no reason to because you don't have the empathy and you haven't understood. So chances are all it will be at best is a request for information and then you'll spend time chasing them whilst they ghost you. So really very, very useful. So what are the blind spots that SDRs have that you've been able to identify? Hmm. So I think the blind spots with the SDRs is... I think another one is like a question that I get asked by sales, like what's the best way to prospect? So when we go into training, I ask kind of like SDRs, like what are the typical channels that we could reach out to our prospects? And they're like, well, phone is number one, email, we can go out to LinkedIn. And then I say, okay, so what else? And it's normally at this point, they get stumped. They're like, I don't know. And I said, all right, uh, think about the, the social channels that you use in your personal life. And they're like, well, maybe Twitter. Okay. Uh, Instagram. Okay. Maybe events. Okay. Perhaps WhatsApp. Okay. Even a handwritten letter, like pigeon, like a, a snail mail. Right. Yeah. And then other pieces like Zing, if I'm out in Germany, it's like the equivalent of LinkedIn uh, out in Germany. And at that point I take a step back and I said, okay, so there is no reason when I was an SDR manager, if an SDR said to me, okay, I can't book the meeting. I haven't got through because the first question I'd ask them is how have you tried to reach them? And the SDRs then see there are actually multiple channels that you could reach out Absolutely. and connect with your buyers. And again, I have to practice what I preach. So I always say to the SDRs, like, have a look on my LinkedIn, have a look on my Twitter, have a look on my Instagram. I'd say 80% of my business comes through Instagram and connecting with people out there outside of LinkedIn as well. And that's how I got to connect with other sales trainers like Morgan Ingram. And I said, there's always like lots of different channels that you can reach out to. Uh, and the most recent popular one at the moment is video prospecting. And a lot of the times SDRs are like, well, I'm not really comfortable being on camera. Um, I don't like being recorded. I, I get a bit nervous. And I can totally understand and empathize with that if, you know, being in front of the camera, we could get stage fright, et cetera. But then I say to the SDRs, well, after this SDR role, where do you want to go? 
in terms of career. And nine times out of 10, they said, I want to become an account executive. And I said, okay, well, if you're going to become an account executive, you're going to have to be in front of people. You're going to be, have to be on screens. You're going to have to be talking. So here's a really cool way to get comfortable with that. Because again, you're going to be pitching and selling a solution. So, you know, try and get ready for that. So I think to, to answer your question, it's the different channels that SDRs could be reaching out to their prospects uh, and trying different creative ways to get them ready to become an account executive. Another thing that I see a blind spot with SDRs is in terms of tenure. So like myself, I was really hungry to become an account executive as soon as I could do. And I thought that if I could prospect and I could do a demo, that was it. And when I actually got into the account exec role after being promoted, I realized there's a hell of a lot of stuff that I didn't know, such as stakeholder management, understanding how do we have conversations with procurement in terms of technical integrations of implementing this into somebody's uh, ecosystem or their tech stack, or you know dealing with customers that weren't happy with the service that they received. All of these big challenges. And <laughs> I remember thinking as an account exec, I was like, I just thought I just had to do demos and close deals and make loads of money. It's so much more than that. Yes, so yes. With, with a lot of SDRs, uh, when I've been a manager, they're like, right, within six to eight months, I want to be promoted. I want to go into an AE role. And my question to them is, okay, that's cool. Happy to support you on it. I said, what do you think it takes? And they will say, well, as long as I can build pipeline and I know the product really well and I know the personas we sell to, that should be it. I'm like, okay, there is a hell of a lot more, but let's kind of build a plan. So what I say to SDRs is, Give me a minimum of at least 12 months of, you know, learning this product, knowing how to put emails together, knowing how to build a pipeline, doing great discovery notes, handing it over and working greatly with your account executive. And you don't have to hit your target 100% month on month, but be consistent and at least try and get to 80% month on month. And at the end of those 12 months, what I'd like you to do is kind of tell me what areas of this SDR role that you really like. So if it's, you know, building out pipeline, if it's doing creative emails and content and videos, or if it's more the, the commercial aspect of watching your AE trying to close it and building out the contracts, or if it's, you know, uh, on a kickoff call with customer success on onboarding the customer. Because an SDR is exposed to so much of the different roles and departments in this role that it's not just an entry level to sales, it's an entry to a company as a whole. So at the end of those 12 months, tell me what kind of floats your boat and then together we can build a plan to help you maybe transition into that department, not just for sales. And what I would do then over the next two or three months is, you know, facilitate them to have meetings or have insights into kickoff calls, product calls, marketing meetings, et cetera, and then help define the career path as to where they want to go. So I've had the privilege of doing the AECS and SDR role, and I've loved all of them. But I think the one that I was most passionate about is the prospecting side of it, you know, trying to get somebody's interest and build out uh, some pipeline. So that's why I focus on SDR training because that's what I'm passionate about. It's really encouraging to hear that you career path very early in someone's uh, tenure in a role because I think what's been lost is the apprenticeship. And as the sales function has been broken up, instead of having a 360 role, it's now SDRs, AEs, account managers, customer success. Yeah. There isn't that level of exposure to all the moving parts that the customer is touched by and experiences. Mm -hmm. And I believe that salespeople who have range with breadth of experience and exposure are much, much better than those who 
only have one part, uh, one of the moving parts. And part of the problem there is that they don't really see the impact of what they say and do on the customer's journey throughout the buying experience. And the other problem is that when they get thrown into the next role, they will typically fail miserably for quite a long time because the same rinse and repeat approach happens in terms of training where you get more product training and you get some technique training, but you don't really understand the complexity of the modern business. Uh, You don't understand the implications of the investment that the customer is going to make. You don't really understand the anticipated regret and blame, the, the, the future buyer's remorse that they're worried about if they make the wrong decision. And unless you understand the risk that the customer is trying to mitigate in making their purchase, unless you understand the outcomes that the customer is trying to achieve, the tendency will be to fall back on features and functions, which makes you instantly forgettable, nothing more than an unwelcome interruption. And again, this is why so many SDRs do struggle. I was on a clubhouse call yesterday with uh, an ambitious young salesperson who was struggling in the same way that you described um, a moment ago. He then, as soon as we offered him some uh, solutions, he then started with the excuses that it was the economy, it was COVID, uh, couldn't get through reception, gatekeepers, voicemail. And there was this litany of excuses. And it, it struck me that. Part of the problem is that people don't really realize that there are people doing your job today who are thriving in spite of all of that because they invest in their own learning. They develop the business acumen and business insight. They understand the implications. They understand the outcomes that the customers want to achieve. And then they put that into the context And Mike Bosworth made a really interesting observation, which I'll steal now, so he'll get credit this once, um, which is that most salespeople and most SDRs in particular turn their product into a noun, not a verb. And he cited an example of he was running a training and um, this uh, one of the salespeople uh, on the training was a chemical engineer who sold glue. And he asked him, you know, talk to me about how you sell this. And so he started talking about glue and its chemical components. And he said, you're using glue as a noun, not a verb. Talk about gluing. And suddenly the penny dropped because that puts it into the context and the real world that the customer lives in. And I think far too little emphasis is placed on really understanding from the customer's perspective. We need to think as the customer. We don't need to think about them. And we certainly don't need to talk about and think about our product or our service. Your thoughts? Yeah, 100%. So I think in terms back to that that, yeah, that candidate that you were talking to the other day, where they're giving excuses as to why the world's not working for them. Something that I learned from Morgan Ingram was, and through my own podcast, is you need to own your own personal development. It's yeah. not like I, I when 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 I was an SDR manager, I loved it when reps were asking me like Neil, what can I learn 
is there anything else that I can do? Is there anything outside of my job that you would recommend me reading up on or listening versus the person saying, right, Neil, can you give my training? What next? You know, like, I just, I just want to do this. I just want to hit my numbers. I just want to do cold calling. I just, I want to book meetings. That's all I want to do. That didn't really spark much fire in me, but it's uh, earning. Yeah, those were the people that wouldn't be there for too long um, because they would get frustrated because it wouldn't they people wouldn't hit their number and they just thought that's all they needed to do. But it's the ones that were wanting to know what they could do above and beyond what they were currently doing and asking for help and guidance as to where could they go get that information. Those are the people that I love working with. And equally for myself, like my own, I, I, I realized early on I had to own this personal development because. Yeah, I could watch a couple of demos. I could, you know, ask questions to prospects to try and qualify them. But what I used to do early on, I remember when I was at Showpad and I felt like I was totally out of my depth. And I didn't, I, we were selling to VPs of sales and VPs of marketing. We were selling like a, a content sharing solution. So I kind of said to myself, well, in order for me to understand why the hell people would want this sort of solution, I just wanted to understand what does your job entail? Like, what do you do day to day? kind of the things that annoy you annoy you so what I used to do on LinkedIn is I used to find and this might be a bit sneaky but I used to find prospective clients that we could you know go outbound on but I would connect with them and say Marcus I currently work for a software company but I don't want to sell you this I just want to have a meeting with you to understand more about your role because I'm relatively new to the industry could I have 15 minutes of your time and the moment I remove the the you know the a commercial discussion but it's me wanting to learn from you I had lots of VPs of sales and marketing saying, yeah, I'm happy to give you the time of day. And I think that's a great technique for SDRs uh, rather than trying to educate your prospect, but asking if your prospect can teach you can kind of like make them feel a bit, you know, their ego gets stroked a little bit and people love to teach. If you ask anybody like in your experience, Marcus, how would you do this? It makes you feel like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm happy to give you some time. So I think those are the things that I did early on as an SDR. And then I'd always feed it back to the team. I said, I spoke to this VP. This is what they've told me. And I think this is how we could align our solution showpad, you know, to have better conversations. And I remember once uh, we was in um, Shoreditch and we just opened up our showpad office. And I was sitting in a room with five other guys. And these guys had more experience than me. They'd worked at salesforce.com, Box. They'd worked at Binder, all these top tech companies. And I was still like a, a newbie to SaaS. And I remember we're all sitting in the room and there was, I remember our view of a window is just a brick wall in this little box office in Shoreditch. And everybody's just on their laptop and nobody's talking with each other. And I said, guys, why don't we do some calls? They're like, well, what are we going to say? Like, we don't have a script. And I said, why do we need a script? Let's just get on the phone and just try and talk to people. And I remember I called up this head of sales enablement for PTC and he was like a high level prospect. And I just started, uh, what was his name? His name was Marcus as well. And I spoke to him and said, hi, my name is Neil. I'm calling from Showpad. The reason for my call is I see that you're the head of sales enablement. I'm relatively new to the industry. And I just wanted to know if I could ask your advice on sales enablement. And he gave me 15 minutes of his time and I asked a lot of great questions. And when I got off the phone, the team were just looking at me like, how the hell did you do that? And I said, I just called him. I just wanted to have a conversation. And the impact of that was it then kind of got them off their laptops and trying to get on the phone and trying it all out. And that was that buzz. But again, I had to take the onus to, you know, just try and uh, try to learn. Well, uh, again, I think this is really important. People hate being sold. Yeah. They love buying and they love being helped go to go through 
that journey. I've interviewed a dozen or more CXOs in the last uh, month or two with the express intent of understanding and being able to document what they do day to day, the jobs that they are trying to get done, the fires they're trying to put out, where their struggling moments are, what initiatives they're trying to implement on behalf of their board, the value that they're trying to create within the business, and also what good and bad looks like in their experience of dealing with salespeople. Mm. And when you ask them about the best uh, experience they've had engaging with a salesperson, they all had one, maybe two. The others had sort of drifted off because they were completely forgettable. But the one or two they'd bought from multiple times in multiple companies because they left them smarter. Simon Bowen has a wonderful model uh, for selling his own uh, training program where he talks about the pill pusher uh, being the lowest rung of sales. And the pill pusher is someone who peddles product and no one wants to pay a lot for an aspirate. So the conversation rapidly uh, descends into price. Then you have the subject matter expert. And they're all over LinkedIn like a rash. There are more of them than flies. And the problem is that most authorities begin to sound like everybody else very quickly. So then they sound like a commodity and they become pill pushers. Then you have the hero seller. And the hero seller is someone they come to for their strength. Authority figures people come to because they want to know what they know. but a hero seller, they come to for their strength because they want to be defended. Now, there is a significant gap between the hero seller and the next level up, who is the sage. The sage is someone who is wise, and people want to be associated with them in the hope that some of their smarts will rub off on them. And every one of these great sales experiences, they said, I looked forward to getting a call from them because I knew that I would leave that conversation smarter. Even if I didn't need what they had to offer me, they would help me understand my situation better. And I've interviewed a chap called Jack Shamas, who was the CFO for Standard & Poor's. He was the COO for Charles Schwab. He was the CFO for Pan Am and various others. So 25 years in the C-suite. And he always, always looked forward to a sales call. More often than not, disappointed. And those conversations would last two minutes. Because if you cannot position what you offer in the context of how you can help them within the first couple of minutes, those conversations are inevitably going to be very short. But when salespeople do their job professionally, they turn up with two questions in their mind. Can I help? And am I the right person to help? And if I'm not, who is? So they come with that vulnerability and that abundance mentality, which is, I'm here to serve. And if I'm not the right person to help, or my company is the wrong company to help, then I will refer someone else, even if it's my biggest competitor. 
Now, yeah. that builds massive credibility. But again, I think part of the problem here, and so I'm going to ask you this question. It's a question that's been bothering me for a while. Is what passes for great in sales fit for purpose? Could you elaborate? Yeah. You look at virtually every job description for a new business salesperson, and that's you know the golden child in sales, in, which is all about logo acquisition and revenue rather than lifetime customers and profit over time, that people are typically looking for highly competitive winners, which therefore implies someone must lose, and people who are self-motivated, good thing, but they're competitive. And the very nature of being competitive and wanting to win means that your emphasis, your focus, is on booking that meeting, making that transaction happen, as opposed to serving the customer and becoming their partner. But yeah, so I get it. So I think yeah, we've seen it on all job descriptions. We want only A players of the game, guys or girls that have like records of like overachieving and hit their quota, et cetera, et cetera. But my first question to that is, is it sustainable? You know, like you want to bring somebody in who's able to bring in the volume and do the plays and book the meetings. But when I used to interview SDRs that had like, you know, the accolades of like hitting their targets, et cetera, et cetera, I always wanted to know like what else did they do to help the business and to help their customers versus just hitting their targets. So I'll give an example. Um, I was having an interview, this might digress a little bit, but I was having an interview with a CISO from Deutsche Bank. And this person was looking for a new career because of what happened in COVID. And she asked, because a lot of friends come to me when they want to like update their CV or if they're looking for jobs and I just give them tips and advice. And when I was looking at this person's job description, they showed like all the accolades of things that they'd achieved and like all the targets, et cetera, et cetera, and kind of uh, what they'd done in their day-to-day -day role. And I said, this is a great, Stephen, you looks like you've got great experience, but what did you do to help the business? What did you do to help your customers? Can you give any examples? And the person says, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, look, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, it shows that I was a manager. But underneath that, it showed all my day-to-day -day responsibilities. But what I also said is I helped the team uh, implement a new onboarding process, which reduced ramp time from like a couple of months to a couple of weeks. Um, I helped implement a new one-to-one -one system with the SDRs on a weekly basis to help improve morale. I created an outbound play with the team where we sat down together and we created a 16-touch pattern, which resulted in X amount of results. I helped the company adopt a new solution when it came through to procurement and a handover process for the sales team. These are things that I did to help my company. But then so also going above and beyond. Yeah, going above and beyond. But equally, when I was working in customer success, I used to have it on my LinkedIn profile like, my job is not to sell, but my job is to help you get the best out of our solution. So consider me like a PT in the gym. I will show you all the exercises, but to help you get results. So I would say that I've helped customers launch our solution within six weeks from signing their contract. I've helped implement uh, training and best practices internally for my customers and make the whole uh, mentality of uh, coach the coach. Yeah, coach the coach to help drive adoption to up to 95%. This is what I've done for my customers. So that every time a salesperson would hand over a closed deal to me, the prospect would connect with me on LinkedIn. They would see what I'm going to do for them. On my first kickoff call, the first thing I asked them is, what can I do to best help you get the best out of this solution? So when I went back to my CSO mate and I said, like, look, these are all the things that you can do 
but what have you done for the business and what can you offer in terms of value for your next prospective employer? So like when I'm looking for SDRs and they say, I've hit all my targets, I said, okay, so what else did you do to help the business? Uh, and what, because I want to see is what can I steal of your experience to help build out and bring in a diversity to, to, into this company as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's a case of not just what am I doing day to day, but kind of what else can I do to help out within the business and role? Looking for there is the discretionary effort. It's the willingness to do stuff that you don't necessarily benefit from directly, but you're making the contribution. And this is another thing when I'm looking at salespeople for my companies, I'm looking for people who are very collaborative. I don't want competitive salespeople. I want people who are collaborative salespeople and will ask for help, but they will also give it. Definitely. definitely. I think we've taken a very, very wrong turn. The last 40 years, we have seen sales being reduced to transactional, selfish, honestly, rather unpleasant. The, the environment of most sales organizations now is toxic, or certainly many. Whereas I, I remember when I first started out, my manager came out with me on calls and they observed, they let me fail. And then they would ask me questions so that I worked out how I could be better and where I went wrong, what I did to catalyze the prospect to raise a perfectly avoidable and preventable objection. That was invaluable. And I think far too few managers spend enough time on coaching. So let's wrap up this conversation around the SDR manager role. What are the qualities that make a fantastic SDR manager? We've got Gabby, obviously, as a reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think the best thing that I learned, and it was kind of one of my blind spots, right? So I was an SDR, became a team lead, and I wanted to become an account executive, but my VP of operations <laughs> persuaded me to take the SDR manager role. And at first point, I was like, okay, I've kind of proven myself. This is going to be a bump in my salary. I'm going to have a bit more responsibility. I, you know, it kind of went to my head a little bit. And the biggest mistake that I made was I became a horrible micromanager, right? So I was somebody that was a top performer and I got all these results and I kind of expected my team to be able to do the same and follow Neil's best practices and achieve those goals. So stupidly, I had a selfish thing of my team worked for me, I'm the boss. And that went horribly wrong, right? And I was young because I was inexperienced. I didn't have anybody coaching me to be a better manager. So I think the first point is, if you're going to be a manager, definitely go on some sort of management training or have somebody internally to mentor you to help you to become a manager. So the impact of being that micromanager, uh, teams were not really receptive to new ideas. I couldn't get them to buy in the visions of new campaigns. When I had one-to-ones, I always felt like they were lacking because they weren't being very open and honest with me, and rightfully so, because they didn't trust me, Right. Uh, and I was quite authoritarian. <laughs> and I had to hum- humble myself a little bit and kind of understand, like, and I, I, sat, I remember one day sat down with a team in our office in Mayfair, and I just said, guys, like, look, we've got these targets. We're not on point. What the hell's going on? What can I do to help? And they said, that's the first time you've asked that, Neil. How can you help? Because you're always telling us to do X, Y, and Z, but you're never giving us the why, and you're not really seeing it from our point of view. This job is freaking hard. You should know that as well. And you're being a bit, and excuse my language, a bit of a dick. And I was like, 
and it was like the first time a mirror was put up in front of me and I was like okay cool I get it so obviously we rectified things and I came in with the idea of like I'm here to help my team right to make them successful that's what I need to do and I kind of took that mindset into other projects of okay it's no longer that my team worked for me but I took the Gary Vaynerchuk approach of I work for my team and I serve them but to be honest I also found difficulty with that because now I was trying to be this hero, this knight in shining armor, and trying to solve every fire that was being lit, trying to get into fixing cadences or like helping them create scripts or creating this onboarding document. I was doing so much that I was lacking in doing my operational day-to-day stuff. And what that resulted in, Marcus, was me getting burnt out, me getting very depressed and feeling like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. And again, if I'm not a happy manager, then my team aren't going to be happy. They're going to pick up on my stresses. They're going to pick up on my angers, my, you know, my fears or what's going on in the team. And it will trickle down. Because again, the moment you see that your leader being scared, the team themselves will then become scared and it can cause some problems. The first line of every manager's job description is you are responsible for your face. Yeah, exactly. So... I remember it was, uh, was it last year when I was working at Intuo? So we had a much more mature team. A lot of these people were experienced in terms of prospecting, building pipeline. And I was brought in from a coaching perspective. And I went into this mindset of, okay, Neil, be the Gary V guy and, you know, serve your team. And it really burnt me out and stressed me out. And I remember like I was butting heads continuously with team members on topics of how we were going to go to market because, obviously from the board down to the VP, then come and communicate to us. There was changes going on every other week. And my team were getting really pissed off with the company and with myself, like giving them new instructions. And I remember like I gave them training on how to do cadences and frameworks and they weren't getting results. And I remember one day I I went into a one-to-one with two great guys, Matt and Jimmy. uh, And I sat down with them again with this like, guys, I really want to help you. I'm trying to serve you. We're not getting the results. Like, what can we do? Uh, And they gave me the best bit of feedback, which was, Neil, we love you. You're a great coach. You've got, you know, lots of years of experience, et cetera. But the stuff that you're telling us to do, I don't know if you know what it's like to be in the trenches and actually do this stuff and do these calls and try and reach out to these personas. Like we need, we don't need somebody telling us what to do. We need somebody batting with us in the trenches as well. You know, so I want to be able to come to you with this cool idea of how I could do a sequence or how I could do a call and get your two cents on it, but give me the support to go be all right to go fail on it as well. And I was like, ah, okay, so I'm doing it again, Neil. So to kind of wrap this up, the, the new mindset I have is I don't work for you. You don't work for me. We work together in this. You know, that's how we move forward. This is how I should be leading. Um, and the thing that keeps me young or keeps me fresh and up to date is by being the idiot in the room. I'm not the expert. I don't like the title expert because I'm not an expert. I'm still learning. I'm still a student. I want to be a scholar of sales development. I still want to be learning. But the only way I'm going to do that is by the people that are executing it uh, and helping me grow as well. So I think the great traits of an SDR manager is somebody that obviously leads with empathy, understands that it's a really difficult job, but be willing to be able to help and coach and jump in with the reps whenever they can to get some management experience and training. Because again, I've done this all without any sort of formal qualification or training, but by working with great VPs, CROs, and asking them, can you teach me how to do this? And I remember at Intro when we were handing off me being 
the manager to the new manager, a guy called Rob, who I used to work with, we had different styles. I was the nice guy. Rob was the bad cop, but somebody that could definitely get results. And he taught me how to be a bit more firm, you know, uh, and also how to, you know, sometimes let go of the emotion because I got emotionally attached to all of my reps. I hated firing people. I hated delivering bad news, but he also helped me do that as well. Interesting. Okay, so one of the things that I picked up on, and it's an observation, is that when you started telling people, you stopped coaching. And I think far too few managers really understand what coaching is. Coaching is having your rep work the problem out for themselves. Coaching is a Socratic approach. It's done through questioning not telling. And the minute you either micromanage or you don the suit of armor and you try and become the hero, you know, look how a real man does it, then the chances are you create a barrier and you diminish them at a human level, at an identity level of who they are. And the result of that is that you end up building resistance and you become the enemy instead of their ally, or you become their accomplice in driving Uh, the unproductive behavior. So one of the first things I would suggest as part of the runway, the apprenticeship, is teaching people how to coach and how to self-coach as well. It's really interesting. I'm working with a phenomenal company called Mobile Practice And what they do is they provide a really simple, clean platform so that the manager or a coach can provide a moment in time where the rep is having a problem or the manager is having a problem coaching or recruiting or whatever, and allow them, uh, give them instruction in terms of what the outcomes are from recording this moment in time behaviors that they want them to exhibit. And then the rep in the safety of their own home or um, wherever can record multiple attempts. And each time until they're happy, they don't save it. But each time they do it, they self-evaluate. And they start taking ownership of this. And it's done in the convenience of their own home or uh, at a time that's convenient to them. And it's entirely personalized and relevant to their real life day-to-day work. So not only is it personalized, but it massively builds confidence. And instead of the training being focused on knowledge retention, it's focused on the application to deliver the outcome incrementally. And it's really fascinating seeing the results um, with their clients because Um, Within a matter of a week or two, people who considered it to be another big brother technology are seeing the value of it because it can be used, for example, just prior to a sales call with a specific individual. So each of those moments that the salesperson finds difficult can be rehearsed and practiced multiple times. And it's outside of the spotlight of the uh, the classroom or the training session, because a lot of people are very nervous about doing that kind of uh, role play whilst their peers are watching. 
So really very, very clever. And so a delight. I wish I'd had this over the last 15 years because it would have made my life a lot easier as a trainer. Okay, so Neil, we've come to uh, time. Tell me, what are you struggling with? What are you wrestling with at the moment? (laughs) What am I struggling with is the ability to switch off, sir, if I'm honest. The way my therapist puts it is it's a burning desire. So I think over the last couple of years, like trying to build a business from scratch, trying to help people, trying to create content, trying to create media, creating curriculums, etc. I'm always on the go. And I'm somebody I find it very hard to switch off. And my friends always like saying, no, you're always working. You're always working. I said, well, when you work for your own business, there is always something to do. And learning the ability to switch off is hard for me because also like you get constant messages on your inbox in LinkedIn, people asking for advice or stuff like that. And I think it kind of goes back to my early days as an SDR where my AEs and my sales managers used to tell me off for giving free consultancy. They're like, Neil, if they're not ready to buy, then, you know, they're not interested in getting into our pipeline. Why the hell are you talking to them? And I said, well, because I want to help, you know, and I like to have these conversations. That's where my passion lies in. And it's the same with friends and family. I'm, <laughs> I get over like 180 notifications on my phone on WhatsApp and everything. People always coming to me for advice and I always want to help. And when I spoke to my therapist about this, I said, how the hell do I switch off? Like, is there something wrong with me? She said, no, you've got this burning passion and this is something that you like doing. And I think I heard a quote from the rapper Jay-Z the other day. He said, it's not about being rich, famous or successful. That's not the goal. The goal is, if you have a God-given ability and talent, is to live through that. And that's kind of what I want to do and help people with. But to help me with this, meditation is something that I've discovered in the past few years which is allowing me to kind of like switch off and think, okay, that email can be done tomorrow. That conversation, I can get back to it at another point. Because to your point earlier, being present in the moment, life is so short and our time is so limited to take stock of, okay, where are we today? So um, daily meditation in the morning. I do meditations before I join this. I'm going to do a meditation as we come after this. And just pausing in the day and not just rushing to the next thing. So I think... When I was younger, I always wanted to get from point A to point B. And I was so intent on getting onto point B and doing everything possible to get there that what I've now realized is everything in between point A and B, it's those experiences. That's where the learning happens. That's where the fun is. Because a lot of people get to point B and they're already thinking about point C. And I also see this with my SDRs is they just always want to get to the next step, next step. And I said, look, if you're going to be an SDR for a couple of months, enjoy learning how to prospect, enjoying being rejected like on a cold call, enjoy not knowing the answer and saying, I have to go find out from somebody else. It's, yeah, I, I find it hard to switch off, but I'm trying to get better at it. Are you calendar blocking time for yourself? I am. Uh, so I live and die by my calendar. Uh, and in recent weeks, what I'm starting to do is cut stuff out or put in blocks to say no meetings at this point or this is family time. Because the whole purpose that I do this is because I want to provide a a future for my son through my business. So one day he has a legacy and he has something from dad. And that's the whole, that's my driving force. That's why I'm doing this. So family time, time to go meet friends, times to, I actually put it in my calendar to give a mate, a random mate, a call a day. So I step out of the office, I go for a walk and I'm chatting to them on the phone. This is how I'm kind of like winding down from work. Excellent. You might want to uh, check out some breathing work to go along with your meditation. My pal, Sean Donahue, is a, a whiz at this, if you ever want an introduction. 
please do. I've, I've been also recommending the last week Wim Hof. He's like the master at breathing to, uh, exercises yeah. as well. Okay. Uh, and he's the guy that does uh, ice baths, I think, as well. But yeah, breathing techniques, 100% agree. Not, not entirely a fan of ice So what are you reading, watching, listening to at the moment that you rate highly? That is a good question. And it might come as a surprise because I had I asked Morgan Ingram the other day, like, you must read a lot of sales stuff. And similar to myself, we don't in the terms of we're not always reading up to date with sales stuff. It's stuff outside of sales that motivates me. So one guy that I'm a big fan of is David Goggins, uh, the author of Can't yeah. Hurt Me. So ex-military, ex-Navy SEAL. Um, because when I was going through lockdown, yeah, your worst enemy is your mind. And he helps you build this mindset to help you achieve things, overcome adversities, to kind of own and take people's souls when you're dealing with difficult situations. So motivational and mindset type of uh, books, these are things that float my boat. Another person that motivates me quite personally, funnily enough, is my PT, a guy called Anthony Nyman. He runs a fitness class called Antics in Surrey, where three times a week uh, we have over about 200 people attending like a boot camp. And we do this for 45 minutes. And this person here is somebody who's built his own business. He's like gone through a lot of traumas in life. He's dealt with anxieties. And he has like the best bod that I've ever seen. But this guy helped me lose 20 kilos in weight. Uh, two years ago and get a better healthy body and a healthier mindset so he's somebody I'm constantly watching I always speak to him and because we're both launching our own businesses somebody that I always connect with when it comes to sales stuff a person that really inspires me is Morgan J Ingram uh, part of JB sales training and another person that I constantly watch on Instagram is John Barrows as well he was my first ever sales trainer he was the first person that made me think okay I can do sales and prospecting in a different way and he's the guy that I coined the term happy selling from because it was in his first training session I was blown away by it and at the end of that session he said all right guys well happy selling and go get it and that just stuck in my brain for all these years and that's kind of why my business is called happy selling because so yeah tops off to, to John for that as well excellent You've got a golden ticket. You can go back and advise the idiot Neil, age 23. What advice would you have given him? Stop worrying and just go with the flow. I think those are the two things I always said. Because I think when I was younger at 23, I saw all of my mates like thinking about, you know, getting these careers, getting these degrees, potentially buying a house, finding that partner or, you know, being at a certain status or level in life. And I was constantly comparing myself to other people. But what I've also learned is I'm not everybody else and I'm unique in me and it's whatever makes me happy, that's what I should be striving for. And a lot of the time, my family and friends are like, Neil, you've not got married yet. Neil, you're working in a startup. It's very volatile. You need to get a secure nine to five job, you know, pension, think about getting a house. Yeah, all of this sort of stuff. And I always used to look at them and said, but there has to be more to life than that. And that's, that was my curiosity. I was like, I like for me personally, and again, this isn't an offense to anyone else, but like just going to do a nine to five job, coming home, having dinner, and then putting your feet up to watch TV and then just doing that repetitively, that seemed like hell to me. I remember when I was asked by my um, VP of operations when I joined Zori, he said like, why have you joined this company? And I said, because I want to be a, a CEO of my own company. And he says, why do you say that? I said, well, you've got all these veterans from SaaS that have started off SAP, Salesforce.com. I'm probably, it's probably going to rub off on me and I'm probably going to learn something. And he said, what are you going to be the CEO of? I was like, I don't know. 
but I know that I'm in the right place and all I know is that I want to just keep going. So yeah, stop worrying, enjoy the journey. Don't just focus on the destination. Um, try to learn as hell of a lot. And yeah, there's nothing wrong being the idiot in the room. Excellent advice. So Neil, how can people get hold of you? Good question. You can find me on LinkedIn. So Neil Buyan. You can contact us through my website at happyselling.io and happyselling.io is the tag handle for all socials. You can pretty much find me on every social that you want. And if there isn't one that I'm on, on, please let me know. Are you on Medium? I'm not on Medium, sir. Excellent. Um, I'm finding that's getting some really good traction for uh, blogs and articles. So definitely worthwhile. I've learned a hell of a lot today, Marcus. Thank you. Neil Buyan, thank you so much. Thank you, Marcus. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful, insightful, helpful, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And if you feel the urge, please go to Apple or Google Podcasts and leave an honest review. I'm not fast whether it's a one, three, five star. Uh, just leave your honest feedback. Now, if you're the owner or the CEO of a tech company in the 10 to 50 million pound range, and your goal is to grow your business and achieve real, sustainable, and profitable hypergrowth with a business that is built on rock-solid foundations with a highly engaged and highly productive team across your, all of your revenue operations who help you win and keep clients who stick with you for year after year, decade after decade, then let's schedule time for a brief conversation. My email is marcus at laughs-last.com, or you can direct message me on LinkedIn. Now, Neil and I are both co-founding members of a community called Sales A Force For Good. And we are basically very angry because sales has taken a terrible wrong turn. The customer is now an inconvenience at the end of a long chain of things that we inflict on them instead of being the heart of what we do. And we exist because of, not in spite of the customer. Our job in sales is to serve them. And our mission within Sales of Force for Good is to raise the selling profession and make it an aspirational career choice and create the conditions for the next generation of salespeople and sales leaders to be proud of. So if you're interested in that, check out the hashtags, hashtag ProCustomer, hashtag biosafety or hashtag SAFFG. We meet every couple of weeks on Zoom on a Thursday evening UK time. And we've got Trello, we've got Miro boards where we're capturing all the lessons and we're making them freely available to anyone who is a member forever. So if you're in the training business, if you're a manager, if you're a founder and owner, those resources will be available to you as well. In the meantime, stay safe, and as Neil and I both say, happy selling.